0: Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed.
1: And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork.
0: And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market.
1: You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Hey, Devin, how's it going?
0: Sheena, I am doing fantastic. How are you?
1: I am very good. It's Friday, Friday afternoon.
0: Friday, my second favorite day of the week. What's what's your favorite? If you're curious, Saturday. Saturday. No work on Saturday, no work the following day. Though I do like Friday because I like like the anticipation of the weekend. Put in a good work week, time for the weekend. Feels good. Does feel good.
1: So how did you uh, enjoy our meeting with Shep?
0: I love Shep. I'll be honest. He, re- he was super impressive. Not that that was a shock, um, but he reminded me a lot of uh, Jim Harbaugh, or Harbaugh, however you say his name, the uh, X 49 ers coach, uh, which makes sense because he was a football coach, mm-hmm. and he has the voice for it. Uh, he's got the attitude for it. And um, not only was it just really insightful information of like, how he you know, runs his business, which we'll get into, but the last two minutes just had me fired up. Uh, I won't, I won't give a spoiler away, but I I was pumped up by the end of this interview.
1: He was, and he actually made you do something the next morning that he did beca- because of his convincing. <laughs> he
0: did. He absolutely did. Uh, we shot the interview yesterday and today I put it into action immediately. So the micro actions that we do aren't just for the listeners. They work, they work on us as the host as well. So <laughs> I won't true. give it away, but, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll hear it pretty quickly.
1: For those of you who don't know, Shep Maher is the EVP of Global Sales at BetterWorks. Um, he has experiences at great high growth startups uh, in the past, including TalkDesk, GuideSpark. He was at Thom- Thomson Reuters as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a true global leader. He's experiences in different parts of the world, leading very diverse teams. So I thought that was really interesting to hear about as well. So excited to present to you Shep Maher.
0: Today, we're here with Shep Maher, who is the EVP of Global Sales at BetterWorks. Shep, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. I love uh, Shep got here at least an hour and a half early, hammered out some calls before the interview. Uh, So I have a feeling you're ready to go.
2: Not only that, I had, I think, three or four shots of espresso. You guys have really high quality espresso here.
0: (laughs) So thank you. We all know that's what fuels sales teams. (laughs) Uh, Well, before we dive into it, we like to ask a couple icebreaker questions. Shep, I'm curious, what did you have for breakfast today besides the four shots? Yeah, so uh, I I had nothing
2: other than the four shots. So uh, breakfast is a very important meal. I don't like to skip it, um, but I uh, I usually wake up at about 5 a.m. and work out. We have a Peloton like the rest of America. Mm So, hit a ride on the Peloton uh,
0: and then came up here. So, fantastic. I also have a Peloton. I did not wake up at five. I did not write it this morning. <laughs> you got to get on it, dude. <laughs> I, they got the November challenge going on right now. You got to, you know, pre Thanksgiving. All right, I got to get into it. <laughs> um, describe your title, Shep, in three words EVP of global sales in three words. Yeah, this was a, this was a fun question.
2: So, I think for me, the three words are servant coach, and communicator.
0: I love that. We're going to get into servant. Yeah. good. Uh, And the last one, I would just love 30, 60 seconds. How did you get into sales? (laughs) I I can't answer it in 30 to
2: 60 (laughs) seconds because I'm a sales guy. So I like to talk. So if you want a story, I'm happy to tell you a story. Tell me the story. Okay. So uh, the way I got into sales was a a little bit uh, of a roundabout journey. I, I went to school at the University of Virginia, and I needed to have a number of part-time jobs to help uh, pay for school. So I uh, bounced at a club mm. where Dave Matthews got started called Trax, which is unfortunately no longer there. Uh, I cooked at a bar and grill called the Biltmore, which is still there. And I sold financial research for a company called S&L Securities, which is a boutique uh, research firm focused on utilities and REITs and banks. So really, really good financial research. Um, I pretty much had no idea what I was doing. I didn't really know how to sell. I had never sold before in my life, but it was a way to make a lot more money than bouncing or cooking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I guess I was good enough because they did hire me full-time after I graduated, but I really was not effective and I didn't enjoy it. Nobody had ever explained to me that in selling, it's important to understand how your customer gets value out of what you are selling. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I was just the classic, like, pound the phones, make your number through elbow grease, and by dint of sort of, like, repetition, I would, you know, I was good enough. Um, But it was a grind, Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And one thing that I was passionate about and I knew I was passionate about was teaching and coaching. And my uh, high school football coaches were my father figures. I grew up in a situation with a single parent. And um, so I called my old football coach and said, would you hire me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he said, yeah. Uh, So I actually uh, quit SNL Securities and went home and coached football and did substitute teaching. What I realized as I did that, I love the coaching. The teaching made me aware that I needed an environment that was a meritocracy. I I realized that the thing that I missed about sales was having a whiteboard mm-hmm. and your name was on the board yep. and and that sort of clarity of purpose and clarity of contribution and the fact that nobody could be at the bottom of the board mm-hmm. for very long because right. they would be gone. And that concept of only working with high performers was something that I craved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up, uh, after the football season ended, um, finding a job back in uh, tech sales.
0: Uh, well, now you're the head of sales at BetterWorks. I think in a couple of weeks, you're going to celebrate your one year.
2: Yes, that's right.
0: Congrats on that. Thank you. Um, what are you working on with the team besides closing Q4? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what we're working on right now is, um, it, it, to me,
2: great sales enablement is so critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so easy to ignore. You know, It. I think it's human nature to sort of like uh, care for yourself last, right? Mm-hmm. And skip workouts on the Peloton. Oh, man, keep me accountable. Just, I'm, I'm just writing saying. it tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so it, having great sales enablement is just an investment that mm-hmm. actually has a multiplier effect. There aren't a lot of investments that you can make that have a multiplier effect where you put in, one K cal or $1 and it can actually return three or four or five. Mm-hmm. I think sales enablement is one of those. Um, when I came on board, we didn't have a sales process. Mm. There were a lot of things that we needed to work on, but one of them was a lack of a sales process. And um, so we looked at uh, a couple of options, and we landed on the Challenger methodology. Mm-hmm. We're sort of one of the things we're doing at BetterWorks is reframing the way uh, companies think about performance management and talent development. Mm-hmm. So we think that that Challenger approach is very important for us, mm-hmm. and a great sales process, as you probably know. Isn't just about having your AEs perform a certain way when they're in the room with a prospect. It actually starts with things like, "What is our messaging all about?" You know, how are we going to, you know, change the way our very first marketing touch lands with a customer um, all the way through post-sale. So it really is a whole company shift. So that's what we're working on. It's pretty all-consuming, I think, if you do it right
1: how do you ensure an effective relationship with your sales enablement leader? And what advice would you have for other sales leaders who are building or already have a sales enablement team?
2: Well, uh, when you find a good one, do whatever they want, whenever they want. Uh, I, um, think if you, if somebody's contributing a lot of value at the company and you recognize that and appreciate that and show the gratitude that it deserves, I think it, creates a virtuous cycle. One, one of the best um, sort of coaching lessons uh, you're going to find, a lot of my stories come from football coaches. So Bill Cower, uh, who was the Pittsburgh Steelers coach for many years, mm-hmm. the incredible coach, was asked once what his coaching philosophy was. And he said, my coaching philosophy is very simple. If there's blame, I take it. And if there's credit, I make sure it gets reflected on a member of my staff who deserves it. And uh, if you have an awesome head of sales enablement, then they are changing your game and changing your company. And if you can, um, you know, highlight that and make sure everybody's aware of that contribution and and provide that credit where credit belongs, um, it has a wonderful, um, again, multiplier effect. Mm -hmm. That's did
0: weird. that answer your question?
1: It did. I'm sure okay. Michelle and our, our team and Brandy will appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: and it plays into your servant leader uh, header on LinkedIn and what you shared yeah. earlier. So it definitely makes sense. I love, I love that. Um, zooming out a little bit over the last eight years or so, you've been head of sales at GuideSpark, TalkDesk, now BetterWorks. What have you observed in terms of how buyers and sellers have evolved since then?
2: Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's a loaded question, yeah. and we probably could spend you know an hour or more sure, uh, on easily. that. I think I think what uh, the, the key theme for me is that sales has gotten uh, a lot more transparent. I think the days of you know the sort of extroverted, slick, you know, like, <laughs> hey, how you doing, um, Charlie? Good times. Yeah. Sales guy is it's gone mm-hmm. um, because the amount of research and transparency that a smart buyer can get on uh, your product, mm-hmm. your company, you. It's incredible, Mm -hmm. right? Right. I mean, you can you can literally go onto different sites now and get reviews of salespeople, yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. sort of like, (laughs) you know. So if you are thinking about making a quick buck and not standing by your promises and that sort of thing, like people can find out. Yeah, Uh, the research you can do on LinkedIn, the research you can do on platforms like G two to real, you know, sort of read real buyer reviews it's amazing. So there's a tremendous amount of power uh, in the hands of the buyer. The one one fun uh, example is, you know, like, so I, I have some gray hair, I've been around for a while. <laughs> if you went to buy, it's even in cars, right? Like, so if you go to buy a car now, it used to be that like the computer wouldn't be facing you and all the right. information would be on the screen of the car salesman. Like, now you can come in and you know the Kelly Blue Book value, mm-hmm. you know how much uh, over invoice they sold their last four cars for this, and the salesman actually has a screen facing you because there's no sense in trying to hide any of that information right. Yeah. Anymore, right so even the concept of like, "Oh, don't be a used car salesman, like transparency has even come to car sales <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah absolutely. so you know that if you're a sophisticated CIO or CHRO or CFO and you're buying technology. Like, as a seller, you have to understand that, uh, and you have to uh, be prepared for that sort of brave new world. So that, for me, is sort of a key theme and how things have changed over the past uh, eight to ten years. Just a
1: a little bit tactically on that, how do you ensure information that you may know at an executive level gets out to the people on your team, and that transparency is there on a day-to-day basis? What does that look like?
2: Yeah, so um so that that's also a pretty loaded question because <laughs> sort of like information is uh that we could take that in a lot of different directions. I think the answer for me is as a leader you have to be a relentless communicator. Uh and the concept of hey, I sent an email out to my team once and so they should get the memo that this is how we approach pricing or what have you, like shame on you if you're doing that. Uh, there's studies done that show how people learn and typically I think they say that you have to communicate things eight or nine times mm-hmm. before it actually sinks into an audience. Salespeople are interesting. We're usually multitasking, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? A lot of us have ADD. A lot of us are you know, hi- hyper and bouncing around. So for me, the magic number is 12. You actually have to communicate things 12 times in a variety of different ways in person, during a team meeting, over Slack, by email, post it up on the wall, in the bathroom, whatever those methods are. (laughs) If you want to get a message across to salespeople, I believe you have to communicate it 12 times before you can say as a leader, I've done my job in communicating. By the way, the other thing that happens in sales is like there's turnover, right? Mm-hmm. So, like the concept of, hey, we communicated this at the SKO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, well, four, you know, you hired 12 more reps and three right. left. And like, so how, how many people are actually at the SKO? <laughs> yeah. You have to constantly be thinking about that. And uh, th- th- for me, that's why the word relentless mm-hmm. with communication is so important.
0: Does your business have any unanswered questions? And some examples of that could be like, we're trying to figure out what product is selling better. Maybe why is our competitor doing something different? Are there any unanswered questions that you're working on now that, of course, you feel comfortable sharing?
2: I'm in sales, so can I uh, answer a question with a question? Of course. Have you ever had somebody say, no, we've got them all answered? Uh, no one's successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, tons, mm-hmm. tons. Like one that's front of mind for me right now is we, we very much have a multi-stakeholder sale. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we're doing our job right because we sell a platform to help businesses align their goals, their business goals, and then tie that in with their talent development and coaching and performance management – if we're doing our job right, we're actually selling to the COO, the CIO, the CHRO, Mm -hmm. and probably at some level, though we might not end up meeting with them every time, the CEO, Mm -hmm. right? Because it can fundamentally change the way that their business behaves and their employees behave if if it's done right. So that concept of like, hey, what works better when we go in through HR or when we go in through operations, questions like that
0: abound. Getting salespeople to get to the C-level is tough, even just one, engaging yeah. with one. Uh, it sounds like you guys have two, three, four on a good day. Yeah. Getting a little bit more tactical, how do you coach your team and kind of motivate them to ensure like, hey, this isn't a maybe, it's a must do. And then I guess like, how do you ensure that they get there?
2: You know, for me in
0: sales, inspection is key. Like you you, you have
2: to inspect. You can't just coach and say, do this. You have to inspect Uh, You have to reward and recognize behaviors that are happening the right way. Um, And you have to play back to your team and help your team understand the impact of when things are done the right way. Those are all critical elements. And I think for me, it is making sure that they're armed with the right messaging that will resonate with a C-level exec, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that they're armed with the uh, right uh, techniques and tools and support from groups like marketing uh, to ensure that the messages are being delivered uh, to that Mm C-level, and then that you have the right people who can actually carry a conversation at a C-level. And by the way, that doesn't mean they have to have gray hair or 20 years of experience, um, but you have to have a really high degree of intellectual curiosity, a high degree of confidence, uh, and they have to have a process and a framework to give them that foundation of how to behave when they're in that um, C-level engagement.
1: All right, everyone. In every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. Chet mentioned that including multi threading is critical for his deal success, which reflects a two pronged approach, engaging the C level decision makers and all the influencers in the decision making committee. Multi threading is a must in today's buyer seller dynamic. An analysis by Harvard Business Review found that the number of influencers in the decision making process is now 6.8 compared to 5.4 just two years ago. This shows that modern decision-making is more collaborative and involves more stakeholders across functions. Are you talking to all of the relevant stakeholders required to close your deal? Our Gong Labs data confirms this approach, finding that the common denominator for unsuccessful deals is they don't engage enough influencers. Unsuccessful deals directly engage with only two or less points of contact in meetings, and less than four points of contact via email.
0: For our sales leaders that are listening to this, uh, how do you interview for those or what are the things that you look for to find that those qualities? Yeah. Yeah. So good, good question. Uh,
2: If I, if I did it perfectly, then, you know, I would never make a mistake in hiring and and, I do. It's, it's challenging to interview for salespeople uh, because salespeople often understand like what the right answers Mm -hmm. are and they can provide the right answers. For me, a really critical element to interview for is that concept of intellectual curiosity, mm-hmm. okay? Another word that I think you can use somewhat interchangeably with intellectual curiosity is a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Somebody who comes in not thinking, hey, here are all the things I've accomplished and here are all the things I know, but someone who gets fired up and energized about the things they don't know. Yeah, And someone who gets fired up and energized about being outside of their comfort zone. Look for patterns that are observable on a resume that don't necessarily add up to, Hey, this person has 20 years of of sales experience. Absolutely.
1: You're in a global role. So you're running sales globally. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you think about hiring, uh, across the world and what are some of those nuances and things that you've been able to learn in, you know, certain aspects uh, of hiring in different regions. Yeah. Uh, and you know, maybe even bring that to other parts of, uh, know other parts of the world.
2: Yeah, I was sharing with with your colleague Russell ahead of time that I'm very well qualified to be on a podcast like this because I've made shitloads of mistakes (laughs) (laughs) over the course of my career. So, you know, if there's a lesson, I've learned it usually the wrong way, you know, by doing it wrong. So um, the, the, the most important thing for me when you're running a global sales organization is to understand that not everybody is like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the American way of doing things is not the only way. I think if you've had, I, I was fortunate enough to spend a bunch of time traveling and studying uh, in different cultures and working in different cultures. And, and if you've had that experience, it can help you along that way. But the specific story I'll share is um, uh, my first international role uh, many years ago, I uh, w- was running a team in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, uh, and I had inherited this team and they were sort of low performing and had a bunch of work to do. And so it was coming up towards the end of the year and I put together our new comp plans for our team, which was all of North America. And I shot it off to my folks in uh, Latin America. And the next day I got a call from Latin American finance and Latin American HR. No. <laughs> and that's like when finance and HR call you as you know a sales guy, it's and like, and uh-oh, yeah. what they, did I do wrong? Yep. <laughs> I'm in trouble. And, um, and they basically said, hey, your comp plan won't work like where you you can't use your comp plan in, uh, in Latin America. Mm, interesting. And uh, I was kind of like, okay, well, thanks for the input. Like, I'm the sales leader, so have a nice day. This sure. is your comp plan. <laughs> and it's, you know, wired very aggressively with accelerators and this, that, and the other thing. And um, uh, puts a, you know, ton of weight on the variable comp, which is how we like it here in the U.S. Yeah. And um, they said, no, you don't understand according to the Brazilian constitution, you can't pay a person who's in the same role less in year two than you did in year one. And their constitution for valid reasons, to you know protect workers and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But obviously as a salesperson, I was like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> so if somebody had a monster year they could literally just mail it in the second year and I would still have to pay them exactly what they earned. And they said, yes. And so the learning lesson was in Brazil, the best way to build a winning team is not with a plan that is heavily tilted towards variable. Mm -hmm. It's actually one that's heavily tilted towards fixed Mm -hmm. and you go out and you, there's a real premium on finding people that are motivated intrinsically by things like excellence and high performance as opposed to, you know, a, a massive variable plan that they could blow through the moon. people who are motivated by stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are ways that you can provide incentives and rewards like for example, a car payment, right or uh, a parking place, uh, mm-hmm. a VIP parking place in the building, mm-hmm. right. And those sort of things go really, really far. Uh, in that uh, in that culture, but that was super eye opening to go like, oh wow, this comp plan that I thought was so brilliant, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> might be brilliant in the U.S. Yeah. and it's not brilliant in other cultures, uh, and and that was a real eye opening uh, moment for me.
0: Well, well, it's interesting too because it's a question you probably didn't think to ask yourself, like why you know if it works so well <laughs> here, everyone here wants that big variable, why why would it be any different uh, a little south of the border, yeah, uh, but. A mistake you have to make sometimes to, to learn.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we ended the good news is we ended up with that uh, team being the highest performing team uh, in, in terms of percentage growth of their business in the entire company. So, yeah.
1: I loved hearing your story. I think we all love to hear uh, things that happen in the wild and mm-hmm. real experiences. So um, touching on that, do you have any examples of some stories where um, a big, tough, hairy, challenging problem that you're trying to solve and you were able to leverage data and facts to help figure out a resolution to that problem.
2: Yeah, so one, just dealing with the challenge that we're, we're dealing with right now at, uh, at BetterWorks. So like a lot of SaaS companies, we, we have a uh, structure where we have um, commercial sales reps that call on smaller companies, and they do not work with SDRs. They do, mm-hmm. you know, they sort of source um, and chase their own, uh, their own leads. Uh, and then we have an enterprise team. That calls on uh, much larger companies, and they're paired with SDRs. Uh, so each two enterprise account executives will share an SDR. But if you're doing that model right, then you need to make sure that the SDRs are force multipliers. Mm-hmm. And in one of those sort of like wonderful moments where you do a QBR and you sort of go, "Oh shit, I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't intend for that to happen." Yeah. Uh, one of the things we realized after the last QBR was that probably eighty or ninety percent of what we call a Q call, a qualification call, was actually being joined by an account executive. Okay, so the the model that we're supposed to follow is if there's an MQL, the SDR will pursue it uh speak with uh that individual uh mm-hmm. and share obviously more information about betterworks but along the way figure out hey is this worth putting in front of my AE uh for a you know more formal meeting and and a deeper uh discovery uh call and demonstration. So uh eighty ninety percent of those Q calls an AE was actually joining. Mm. Okay. And there were always good reasons. The AE might say, "Hey, look, the SDR is newer, and I want to make sure they're doing a good job of, you know, qualifying, and that they're not over qualifying mm-hmm. and killing, you know, killing the mojo, sure. you know, what have you." Um, and, and and you could also find, by the way, if you pulled like ten sales leaders in here, you might find ten different opinions. Some sales leaders might say, "Why the hell would you put a junior resource right. on, you know, for that first
0: engagement?" Especially on the enterprise team, too.
2: Especially on the enterprise team. For me, if you're hiring right, then the answer becomes, like, for me, people are capable of incredible things if you give them the foundation and support Mm -hmm. to excel and you set high expectations. And so, for me, the concept of, hey, this person is 23, 24, doesn't have a lot of experience, they can't possibly do that, it's like bullshit. They can. (laughs) They can. If you enable them the right way, you train them the right way, you set right. high expectations, they absolutely can. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you've got to make sure that it happens the right way. And uh, so, and, and if you think about it from a data standpoint, if you have let's say twenty account executives and they're joining eighty or ninety percent of those queue calls, and let's just say for fun. Uh, they're averaging, you know, eight Q calls a month or something like that, right? Like two a week. You're looking at 160 hours of enterprise account executive time Mm -hmm. per month that you're flushing down the drain. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Or that if you could get your SDRs to a point where they could do that cue call well, yeah. then you could have 160 hours back, right? I
0: mean, that's basically a full enterprise reps worth yeah. of time. Yeah. And you're also prepping the SDRs for the next role in their career, right? To be joined to that SMB team or something.
2: A- absolutely. And, and one of the things that you see again and again is high performers love, like, the reason that they stay at an organization is they feel like they're being challenged.
1: So it looks like out of that, you definitely saw some improvements in rep productivity. Did you see any impact um, for the SDRs? What were some of the results that you saw from that perspective?
2: Yeah, well, so we're, we're only, uh, we, we have a sort of funny quarter. So we're ending our Q3 right now in November. So we just implemented this change in September. Nice. Uh, what I can tell you is anecdotally, the SDRs feel more empowered. Uh, and when you have an SDR who's, uh, capable and hungry and they feel more empowered, their results are better. So we certainly have a couple of our newer SDRs who have seized the reins and, uh, and we just had an AE who had been sort of on the wrong side of the fence, participating 80 or 90% of the calls because the SDR was newer. Mm -hmm who just shared a recording that this SDR did uh, with the broader team and said, everybody's got to listen to this. This was just an absolute aces um, cue call. That's that's great. So I, I think it's working. That's great. Yeah. I
0: think it's it. You can't really measure, but like morale, especially in the SDR org, which is a lot, a lot of younger people, really high energy. When they're fired up, it, it permeates into the AES, into the leadership team, and so when you can share those wins, it really says, "Hey, like let's put a microscope on this, and then let's scale it across." And once you see those results, you know the other person on the fence goes, "Oh, maybe I can le- loosen up my control a little bit and, and trust my SDR." Yeah, uh,
2: one of the things that I do. and and have
0: done for years is
2: I put my desk by the SDR team. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when you, if you start a new role, the facility is like scratches their heads because they're like, don't you want to be sitting over by the uh, other executives? Um, The the SDR team to me is the heart or stomach (laughs) of the, uh, of the sales team. And you're absolutely right. If they're high morale and high energy, the whole company can feel it. Right. And if the opposite is true, the whole company can feel it. Um, So so it's critical to have that uh, section of your team running right.
1: Mm -hmm. How do you see the use of AI, advanced analytics, impacting and changing the direction of sales overall?
2: Yeah. Um, I think there are a couple of interesting outcomes. One is that increased transparency and increased clarity. Taking out sort of the guesswork or the like, hey, trust me, you know, uh, my gut is always right on this stuff, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And replacing that with fact. Um, for me, there's a wonderful uh, time-saving component because at the end of the day, I believe, and my, my team will probably laugh if they're listening to this, but I use an expression, house" all the time. Uh, it came from a, a good friend of mine, uh, Kendall Collins, who had mm-hmm. a great framework for decision-making. He's a marketing leader. Uh, And he said, my framework is very simple. How many kcals am I putting in and how many kcals am I getting out, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And is that equation positive? Mm. And so for me, it's like in the course of a day, you only have so many kcals. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You wake up at 5.00. You hit the Peloton, you might have more KCALs that day than a day where you sleep in and eat, you know, two egg McMuffins for breakfast. (laughs) Um, But at the end of
0: the day, you have a finite amount of KCALs and you have to make good use of them. I love that. We always like to end on a win. Okay. (laughs) Which this whole thing has been a win. But I would love to know what has been the biggest win for you or your team this year so far. So uh, we had a, we have a, a, a client who's a super major
2: uh, oil and gas company, one of the biggest companies on the planet. <laughs> they were tagged, coming into this year, they were tagged red, so unlikely to renew. And we hired a super talented woman uh, to cover that territory for us, and she is fearless and curious. And so rather than being put off by that, and going, okay, hey, there are better uses of my time in my KCALs. Mm-hmm. Um, she dove right in. And that customer is now green uh, and has already doubled their spend with us and uh, is, most importantly, happy. Actually, using our platform for good. Right, right. You know, and improving the results of this department that's using us. We have a a great and expanding footprint uh, at that department, and we have another follow on order uh, that hopefully will be closing next quarter. Fantastic. So that that for me is just you know it's uh, you know a, somebody who's new uh, who made an immediate impact. B, you know, obviously there's a, a wonderful story where we took a customer who was at risk and turned them around. And last but not least, there's real returns and business impact being felt by the customer where we're making life better for the customer in terms of their business results and their employees in terms of their development and growth and learning.
1: What's the single most important data to keep track of as a sales leader and why? <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you are going to pick Oh, shit. That if,
0: I,
2: if I actually, like, if I, yeah, I should charge you for this answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's mindset and attitude. Obviously you have to have a good product, et cetera. But if mm-hmm. you have a sales team that believes, a sales team that is listening to and, and following the coaching of good leaders, the key becomes mindset and attitude and belief. Love mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. it. For your peers that are also sales leaders, what is the one skill or trait that they should focus on in twenty twenty? For me it's it's serve. I, I'm a servant leader.
2: Uh, That means when I think of the org chart, it's inverted. You know, I'm at the bottom uh, and I'm here to support all of you. Mm -hmm. I'm here to remove obstacles. I'm here to cut through the bullshit so that you can maximize the time that you spend selling. Uh, I'm here to empower you. So I'm working for you, but I'm also a pretty valuable resource. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that comes with a price tag. And that price tag is accountability. That price tag is effort. That price tag is you care as deeply for your teammate or that new SDR who's struggling as I care for you. And if you are up for that, we're going to get along really well. Mm -hmm. And we're going to help each other rise to new heights. And if you're not, then get the fuck off the bus. That fired me up. I think I'm ready to sell right now after <laughs> that. <laughs>
0: All right, final question we'll leave you with. Describe sales in one word. Challenge. For me, it's a sort of infinite
2: puzzle, both externally and internally. And, and the larger and more complex your sale is, then, you, you know, the more fun. So it's challenge. You limited me to one word,
0: but it's a fun, <laughs> it, you know, it's it's a super, super invigorating challenge. I get that from you, Chef. Well, thank you for being here. We appreciate your time, and uh, it was a good time. Okay, good. Thanks so much. thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Every week, we bring you a micro action. It can be as simple as something to think about or an action you can put into play today. Shep ended with a direct and honest response to helping his team get better, essentially saying that coaching, especially from an executive, comes with a price tag, accountability, and effort. So ask yourself, how are you holding your team accountable? Accountability drives results. And pipeline reviews are one of the best structured ways you can focus accountability with your team. Yes, it's all about helping move deals forward and providing guidance, but they often miss closing the loop the following week. Did your seller do what they said they would? Are they applying the coaching you're providing? In your next pipeline review, consider checking in on last week's action items to begin the meeting. This will raise the bar both for the rep and the team as a whole.
0: Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday.
1: And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there.
0: And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.
1: And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at revealgong.io. At